Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 879 with Troy Hooper. We're going over the six areas that your business must understand deeply. Look at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, the thing that matters the most are the people you work with. And that's your employees. Who are you responsible for providing a livelihood to? And, you know, whether you want to call that HR management or culture or scheduling, it's all, it's all the same. We are a business of humans serving humans. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Sculpture Hospitality. Are you sick of managing your inventory? If the answer isn't yes, um, I'll be surprised. Honestly, I'll be a little surprised. Uh, and if the answer was yes, then there's Sculpture Hospitality out there looking to help you. Leave your inventory management to the experts while you focus on making your customers happy. With Sculpture, not only can they do the physical inventory counting for you, but they can dive into your inventory data, combining that with your sales and purchase data using seamless integrations to give you real insights and visibility into your restaurant's profitability and putting your profits back where they belong. If you're ready to gain complete visibility and control of your bar or restaurant inventory, get a free, no obligation inventory consultation from Sculpture Hospitality. Visit sculpturehospitality.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, a company you've been hearing me reference a lot on the show lately, and that's because they're awesome. And I want to make sure you know about some new e-learning courses they have available right now. Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that can help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So these courses I'm talking about, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day, you'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant leans more towards the spirits, then make sure you take the interactive course on spirits and food pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate their dining experience and help you improve your check averages. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Now, I know you know about Plate IQ, but do you know about Plate IQ's new spend management feature? Okay, let me tell you about it. Plate IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there's no credit check, no minimum bank balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card issued easily. And I've got to tell you that with Plate IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. And you cannot forget that Plate IQ still offers bill pay, incredible insights, and custom approval workflows. 
To learn more, head to playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, you can save 25% off implementation. What up, Unstoppables? We have a great show for you today, but a quick reminder, this podcast needs your support. Share this podcast with everybody you know. Support our sponsors, use our affiliate links, and come hang out in Restaurant Unstoppable Network. So today's episode, the name Troy Hooper sounds familiar, it's because we connected with them a couple weeks ago when we were in Los Angeles. He was episode 876, and this feeling I've been kind of feeling lately is a sense of like just leaving so much on the table. Um, over time, you've seen me make the episodes longer. I'm trying to go deeper, really pull back the layers on these individuals and their lives and how they got to where they are. And it takes more than 45 minutes to an hour to do that. That's why the show has increased in length to almost three hours sometimes, two and a half hours. Uh, we don't do that every episode, but the idea is I don't want to rush this. I really want to make this an intimate experience for myself and for my guests and to get as most out of these encounters as possible. So I feel like the evolution of that is in talking to these people and listening to them and hearing what they do best and where their strengths are to let that be a trigger for me to basically schedule a follow-up interview. And what I'm doing now is when I, if there is, if it makes sense, when it makes sense, if I have a guest on the show and they are an expert on something, then give them a chance to really drill down and go deep into that specific topic. That's what we're doing today. We invite Troy Hooper back on the show uh, to go deep into the six areas your restaurant must understand deeply. So, if you remember during that interview with Troy, he mentioned he takes his clients through these different steps, these different phases to like diagnose and assess their business. Uh, these are the things that he's looking for when he brings those clients on board to his, his services. Uh, and we get into a lot of detail. Some of these areas you're going to hear, uh, and say, no crap, Eric. Yeah. Of course you need to know about marketing. Of course you need to know about finance. Of course you need to know about your employees, but he lists details that you may have never considered, uh, when it comes to the significance or just the, he paints a picture of what these areas look like when done right. It's a very powerful episode. And, uh, Troy Hooper is the founder and CEO of Kiwi Restaurant Partners and Nourish, which is, uh, doing really interesting things, challenging the status quo. And this is a great episode. I know you're going to find value. Here he is, Troy Hooper again. Enjoy it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder and CEO of Kiwi Restaurant Partners and Nourish, Troy Hooper. My man, Troy, are you feeling unstoppable today? Always feeling unstoppable, Eric. Yes. Thanks for having me. Dude, of course. And if the name Troy Hooper, and if that, that voice sounds familiar, it's because Troy was literally just on the show. He was episode 876. Head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 876 if you want to pick up uh, that conversation. It was literally just three episodes ago. Uh, but really what we're trying to do at Restaurant Unstoppable is slow down, go deeper. I find myself feeling like there's just so much left on the table after these conversations. And I know these people I'm getting on the show are experts in certain regards or they, they know a lot about specific topics. So I'm giving my guests an opportunity to say, Hey, yes, I would like to host a workshop. Here's a topic. And that's basically what we did today in the topic that Troy came at me with is the six areas of your restaurant. You must understand deeply and we'll get into those six areas. But before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a, a success quote or mantra what do you have for us? I wonder if you're going to use the same one, if you're going to switch it up. 
Uh, I'm actually going to use the same one. It's super important. Seek first to understand, then be understood. I yes. just think that that's too Echo valuable, important, and time-tested to uh, to abandon it. Yeah, man. It's, it's a great way to get this thing started. We unpackaged that a lot during our first recording. So again, if you guys have not caught Troy's episode, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 876. Get caught up and then join us here today. Uh, so let's just get right into it since we already know who you are. We already have your whole backstory. What why did you choose the six areas of, of your restaurant? You must understand deeply to be your, your topic for today's workshop. Well, these are the areas that on a consistent basis, when we work with new clients, um, existing restaurant owners, whether they have one or five stores, whether they're uh, wanting to branch out on their own and start something new. These are the areas that we consistently find people struggle with knowing enough about or knowing deeply a lot of times they know that they don't know it, but they don't really have a resource to go get information or talk to somebody a little bit more deeply about it. So I just thought that this was a great menu of items that really, if you're going to own and operate or even manage or you're, you know, aspirationally want to go that direction, that you've really got to understand these topics a little bit more deeply. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, it's going to really set you up for a higher level of success. Yeah, you started. You, you sent me over uh, a, like a, a a template of what we were going to discuss today, and I looked at, at first glance. You see some of these topics, and you're like, "Yeah, no, no crap. I need to know about my employees, right. and operations, and you know, marketing." Duh, Troy. But when I started pulling back the layers and really looking into the the details in which you go into each of these bullets, and I only got like the first three bullets, but there's some really good nuggets that I'm sure are going to come out of this conversation. Where the 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 subject line of each area seems kind of obvious, but there's so many things we could be doing better in our businesses that we're just not even aware of to really take it to the next level. And I think those things are going to come out of today's conversation. So if you're ready to, to get into it, do you want to just start with the first bullet there? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, let's look at this as a high level introduction to restaurant ownership school, right? Nobody went to restaurant ownership school. Uh, you, you know, a lot of folks who own or want to own restaurants, have some familiarity. They've worked in the business. They maybe are a chef. Maybe they went to culinary school. A lot of times we see previous business owners uh, wanting to get into it. So, um, so just, you know, from that mindset, we really want to make this as educational uh, as possible and go as deep as we can in the time that we have. But um, this is a great place to start. Look at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day, the thing that matters the most are the people you work with. And that's your employees. Who are you responsible for providing a livelihood to? And you know whether you wanna call that HR management or culture or scheduling, it's all, it's all the same. We are a business of humans serving humans. And so we have to work with and motivate our employees, the people that come and choose to work with us every day. Um, and we've just, as an industry, obviously, since the pandemic has peeled this scab off completely uh, and exposed the entire wound that has been there for a long time, we have just really not done a great job as an industry. Uh, certainly there are highlights among individuals, but we've not done a great job as an industry with treating our employees well and really knowing what they want and connecting with what they want. Um, you know, the thing I want to start off with is this is not a pandemic problem. Uh, it just was exposed at scale because of the stresses of the pandemic. At the end of 2019, turnover in the restaurant industry 
was still north of 100%. Full service restaurants were still turning over 102% of their staff annually at a time in 2019 where we had the highest economy, the strongest economy over that 12-year previous period that we've had in the United States ever. And so if at the best we've ever been financially, we're still turning over 100% of our staff, that really should be a wake-up call. And of course, now it's 130-some percent because of all the stress of the pandemic. I'm really happy you pointed this out um, because it's something I've been kind of echoing. A lot of people like to point their finger at the pandemic for a lot of the industry's problems. And I'm like, do you guys all forget where we were in like February of 2020? Like not too far from where we are today. Like we had these problems long before COVID-19. And like you said, this thing just exposed us. And we were like, it was the straw that broke the camel's back is what it was. You know, we were already very vulnerable as, as an industry. And, um, I think it's, yeah, it's good. It's good to point that out that this has been here for a while. So back on this topic, um, actually you mentioned something else too, that I think is kind of interesting. Uh, I think it's important when we think of our employees, we often say these, these people are coming to work for me. Uh, you're my employees. You work for me, but it's the people that have this mentality of I'm working for you. You're my employees and my job is to work for you. Do you want to get into that? Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, you need to have gratitude, right? These folks have chosen you to give themselves and their services and their skills and their time to, and there's nothing more precious than our time in exchange for something. And, you know, we asked, and we meaning the industry uh, asked multiple times from the end of 19 all the way through until just a couple months ago, what are the things that the industry's employees say matter to them, right? So you need to ask your employees, what matters to them? What can you do for them? And quite often, one of the first things you hear are, I want to know more about the business. Almost every employee I've asked that question to said, can you teach me about Excel's and reading the P&L? I want to understand what a P&L is. And that's everybody system-wide in the business, right? So we ask them and they tell us. So my point number one is ask your employees what matters to them. What do they need? What resources, what knowledge, what upskilling would be beneficial to make their lives easier so they could do their job better? You know, we've had some surveys and consistently over the last three years, we hear the same thing. And I'm going to get it out of the way first. Yes, pay matters. Are you equitable? Is how you pay people competitive to the industry or to your micro market, period. Get that out of the way. Because when four out of the top five reasons people leave the industry, leave the individual business, or consider not coming back to the industry after the pandemic, four out of the five have nothing to do with income. And that's predictable schedule. They want to know if I'm going to have two or three jobs or go to school or, or work around childcare and a spouse's or a partner's schedule. I need to know that it's predictable. And this idea that we need to think about and rewrite our schedule every week, put it out at the last minute and upend everybody's lives is archaic. It should have never been a a thing. It's way too common in our industry. That needs to stop. Predictable scheduling. It, It makes your life, the owner and manager easier. It absolutely makes your employees' lives better. So that's, that's life quality of life based, right? Not pay. They want benefits. And I think every group, and even the subgroups within your employee base, different things matter to them, but certainly childcare benefits 
ideas around a co-op childcare on site or um, nearby childcare services, supplemental, et cetera. Childcare is a big, big uh, part of that. I've had my first son during the pandemic, totally get that. Very hard to get him into preschool and daycare. Nannies are hard to find. Um, babysitters come and go. So, uh, so that matters. Of course, all other manner of benefits. What benefits matter to them? Ask. Um, very important. Three, number four or three that are not pay related. Path to promotion, growth opportunities. They want to know they're working with, with something that's going to give them an opportunity to upskill themselves, have more opportunity, promotion, uh, new areas of the business. So they can move on either within your business or out of your business um, in, a, in a stronger position than they started. So that's a very important one. Yeah, this is huge. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, lastly, and I think it is the big one, and this is what we're talking about during post-pandemic period and, and certainly during the pandemic, and I think everybody's leaning on this pretty hard, which you should, but culture. But what does culture mean? I, I worry that people don't understand what culture means. How my time with you makes me feel and how the vibe of the space, how the collective group feels while they're there is your culture. Yes. How they express their happiness is your culture, yes. right? Um, I think the baseline is not being an asshole, you know, no toxic, no harassing, no sexual innuendos, fair practices for all. That's part of your culture, right? I think um, this favoritism towards higher producers, long uh, longevity, like seniority. I've never been a buyer of seniority as um, as a differentiator of how people are treated within a business. Um, people want to know if they're valued. They want to know if they're heard. If they have an opinion, is it actually uh, being listened to and considered? And then, you know, the other side of that is, do you invest in me? Back to kind of the benefits and the path of promotion. Are you investing in me? Do you see me as an asset? Do you, am I more than a tool uh, to this business? Those are all things that ultimately make up the fabric of your culture. Yeah, a couple of things that go on through my mind. Uh, first and foremost, I want to point people in the direction of uh, Nick Cirillo's episode, episode 760. So if you go to restaurantstoppable.com slash 760, we did a whole workshop dedicated to this idea of creating paths of growth, creating tangible paths of growth within your industry or within your, your restaurant and how important that is. Like people, you need to have a whole curriculum. And if you don't have a curriculum from how to get to point A to point B and the things I can do to dictate and determine my growth within your organization, make it up to them. If they want growth, if they want opportunity, show them how to do it and tell them to go get it. And those people who want more will rise to the occasion. But you have to create that path for them to rise in. You know, you have to create that vertical for them. They can't just, you know, you you, you have to create systems around this. And we get into that in that episode. And then the other thing, when you're describing culture and you're saying it's how your employees feel in this moment. I think a lot of people think culture is what they write down on paper. And I don't want to discourage you from writing things down on paper because that will cement your culture, but it isn't what you say you are. It's what's happening right now. Culture is a reflection of reality. It's whether you've written it down or you haven't written it down, your business still has a culture. And that's what people are saying right now about you, about how you make them feel right now. So it's not enough just to go through these motions and to write your culture down. You got to live it every day. You got to surface who you say you are, your vision, your core values, your mission every day, weave it into the systems and processes of your business. So it's, you're forcing this language to come up every day. What's going through your mind as I say this? I, 100. That's what's going through. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah. I'm, I'm high-fiving you. 
I'm knuckling, punching you. Yeah, like a hundred percent. Like that's integrity is all about doing what you say and then you know saying what you're going to do and doing what you say. And and by the way, the most micro promise matters as much or more than the big promise that you make down the line or aspirational, et cetera. It is the moment day to day. If you say you're going to do it and then you forget and you don't do it, it's really dismissive. It, it, it may not be important to you, but it was important enough for them to ask or seek for, hey, what do I need to do? And by the way, it needs to not be a mystery to your point and to what I believe was in the episode you referenced is this has to be clearly defined, overtly communicated. Nobody should be wondering what it takes to get from bus person to uh, food runner to expo to server to senior server to bartender. You know, this should be a very clear path from here to there. Let them pick the adventure and you have laid out the process. Yeah. I think in, in the example that we use with Nick Cirillo and uh, Nick's pizza in just outside of Chicago, they literally have tiers. Like there's a entry level tier two, tier three, tier four or whatever. And then at each tier, there's a different hat that you get. So like people can instantly identify you of, of what your credentials are and what testing you've gone through to be qualified. So like it's, it's literally like in like ingrained within the systems and processes. And I think that's how you have to look at it. You have to bake it in. And uh, I've seen old school ways, very similar old school ways, your name tag color, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, whether it's brass or bronze or then silver, or then gold or, you know, black or whatever. Those are all could be indications of what your role or what your level is as well. But yeah, I mean, just make it clear, make yeah. it, make it, make it a process and a system. Like you said. Yeah. Uh, so within this, I think you have more notes on this idea of, uh, what good culture looks like. You gave us some examples between onboarding and training, uh, the must haves and the must do's. Uh, is this a list of what are those the lists of the must haves and must do the onboarding training? I don't get ahead of you, but job description, things like that. Yeah, no, it's, it, you're, you're dead on. So, so it all starts with the beginning, right? Start begin with the end in mind. And if you want a great culture and you want uh, highly motivated and happy employees, it's all about how you start. And gosh, this is old hat. This has been just screamed from the mountaintops as long as I've been in business, but you got to onboard correctly. And in the restaurant business, this is notoriously done very, very poorly. Um, you know, server Paul, who's been there the longest, having somebody observe and follow him until he says they're ready to do it uh, is not an onboarding system or process, right? It is one thing you can do, but but we really have to invest at this stage. When somebody joins your organization, you've made them a promise to achieve a certain position and status and and revenue, right? A you know salary income base, and so you really owe it to them to be professional and give them a well laid out, predictable achievable set of circumstances and steps to take through the process. So just has to be clearly defined. They have to know what's coming. I think you need to train your trainers and certify them to that. end. And by the way, the most senior or the highest producing employee is not the best trainer. It's the person who actually has a passion uh, for sharing knowledge. It has, they, they have a good communication style. Um, this may not be 
the other person. This could be a lesser senior person. It could be an average producing employee, maybe even a part-time person. But man, they have a passion and a, and a knack for communication. And they're going to take this very seriously. And they're going to be a great trainer. So the trainer needs to be a separate role uh, and have its own qualifications. But you know, really, are you are you expressing training and education around skills and knowledge? Are you testing on that on a daily and weekly basis? And then, you know, are are they taking home materials and preparing uh, academically for the practicality application of those things? And then, you know, this is a step-by-step process until you've achieved. And whether that's a week, two weeks, 10 weeks, I don't care what it is as long as it's well-written, well-defined, and has the process to check in, test and and retest and 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 get to that point i'll tell you you know whether you start on day one with me or you've been here for 10 years every time the menu innovation whether it's a seasonal menu annual menu update or a or a single menu rollout item you know of a seasonal or or limited time offer you're gonna see and taste that menu you're gonna academically read what's in that menu you're gonna understand every ingredient and its origin and why it's in that menu item and then you're gonna test on those things. And until you get that test, you know, above about 85, 90%, you're not on the floor, right? And so that's kind of an old hat, full service, finer dining mentality. But that should be the case because, you know, it should be the starting point that my staff understand what the menu items are, what's in them, and, uh, and, and be able to answer basic questions around. So that's an example of a simplistic piece of this process that has to be a part of everybody's job. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's somebody who's listening to this might be feeling kind of overwhelmed of how much work is in front of them, this mountain of work to create all these materials. I think it's really important to point out that it's never been easier to start implementing these things because there's so many resources available today. Like you don't have to build this stuff from scratch anymore. There's so many tools and resources out there. And just the first ones that come to mind, restaurantowner.com, uh, it's been recommended so many times, like so many times on the show, they will give you a template of exactly what you need and what this looks like. So you can use that as your guide. And there's technology today too. Just for example, some of the things that have been mentioned over the years, tipsy, which is a, a, like, it's, mm-hmm. have you heard of tipsy? I have. Yeah. They're based out of Melbourne, Australia. It's like just hundreds of hours of just training tutorials. So you don't even have to create the training. You just need to find the training for you and plug it into your training portfolio. Uh, there's Yelly app, which is a front of house training tool. There's uh, serve SRV that Roger Bodwin from restaurant Rockstars is, is releasing. Uh, those are both front of house. There's Mies, which is back of house training. Uh, there's also uh, if you're an or- a larger organization, wise is another tool that's been used. So, Instead of trying to reinvent the wheel and create this thing from like nothing, don't be afraid to plug in existing tools and technologies to make your job easier. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Anything yeah, absolutely. The, 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 in this day and age, there's no need to reinvent the wheel. Just do it. Put something together. There's always, it's never going to be perfect. It does need to evolve. It does need to change with the business environment, with your business model, with your employee base changing uh, as it ages up and, and, and new younger folks come in, the, the way they interact uh, and anything you can do in technology base is going to be much more easily adopted. So yeah, I, I I'm all on board with that. And then Troy, I'm sure also has tools and research resources for you if you choose to go to work with him uh we gotta give you a little plug of course <laughs> yeah and we and we and we do do that as part of our consulting we certainly um do build those materials uh custom to 
to the actual uh, business and operation and brand. So next on my, so, sorry, I was gonna say next on the list, I see job description. Um, you, you kind of mentioned the words, I think, but did you want to get further into that? I'll just, I'll just highlight and then it, it kind of rolls right into the more operational efficient stuff. You know, I, I think it, it, you have to have clearly defined job descriptions. They need to be reviewed and uh, they need to evolve with the changing responsibilities of that job on an annual, at least an annual basis. Um, that goes along with an employee handbook. I can't tell you how many restaurants we walk into and they don't, their employee handbooks, 12 years old, nine years old. They don't have a well-defined employee handbook. If you're not setting the tone, giving the history and clearly defining what you're all about, um, and, and what your values are and, and, and certainly covering the legal liability things around harassment and uh, diversity and inclusion and what language we use and don't use. Like these are baseline things, but so many folks have just never gone back and done it or even touched them after years and have kind of, they're there collecting dust. And in this day and age, you really, really have to be on top of these, these sort of basic foundational elements of owning and operating a a restaurant. I'll take it another step further. Uh, You know, how many times do you find yourself as an owner or manager sort of telling the same thing, retraining the same problem, addressing the same issues, right? Why not have an SOP binder, a standard operating procedure binder? It's one of the first things I do anytime we walk into a new client or a new management uh, environment that we're taking over, you know, express clearly and give a reference material the answers to the questions. And if it's on how we make a coffee or how we set a table or X, Y, and Z, how we do X, you need to have an SOP written. So it's very clear what the issue is, how it's resolved, what the exact process is, and then what may be the variations to that problem are, maybe some other uh, alternative solutions to, um, to that situation that need to be addressed. But you need to make sure that everybody in the business is on the same page. Otherwise, you're going to promote a food runner to a server, and then three weeks in or three months in, you're going to be going back and retraining and readdressing some of these things that could have been really clearly defined in an SOP manual. So I really think having an SOP binder in the service uh, area where you're going to do your daily stand-up or lineup is really, really important. Everybody looks at it daily on their shift. They find out what the new issues to resolve or answers to questions are. That gets filed once they've all acknowledged and read it and signed it. That gets filed into a, a, a divided, categorized section in the binder that they can go back and say, oh, man, I, I thought we did it this way. No, 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 we do it that way. Hey, let's go to the SOP binder and have a look yes. and read through the process or procedure. I exactly. think that's a really important and very rarely implemented tool um, that would really eliminate a lot of problems proactively. Yeah. And there's one analogy I love to use when it talks about uh, just the theme, like you said it, like it, it everything's, you got to make sure everybody's on the same page and with an operations manual. There's literally just a page that everybody has to be on. Cause it's the only way. So what's going to happen over time is drift happens, right? And the analogy yeah. is a plane on a runway. Then there's the center line and you want to stay on that center line and you're going to drift, but you don't know if you're getting offline unless you have that center line, your operations manual is your center line. And what like over time, it's, it's all here shit or hearsay. Like she said this, he said that who's yep. right. Well, let's go to the operations manual. That's our center line. We can, we, we can all get a, we can all agree on this because it's written down. And the only other thing I want to add is 
it's a living, it's a live living document. So it's not like you, you create it one time and it's there. It's, it's a live document that when like you, you're not going to be able to think of everything in the beginning, but when you hit the, when the stuff hits the fan, that's your cue to go, we need a better system or we need a better SOP for this. Or if somebody comes into work doing something or wearing something that's not aligned with your culture, that's a, that goes into the, the standards, you know, or an, uh, if, if there's a, a, an accident, then if this, then that, and there wasn't a, then that, then that's your, your cue to create a, then that for that incident. So it's a thing that you're constantly building on. So don't be, if, if you can't think of everything on day one, don't kill yourself. Just know that you're constantly adding to it. Well, and by the way, that's why they should have a date and a updated date uh, or revision date and version number, version 1, 1.0, 1.1, 1.2, so that you know that you've actually touched this. And, and so you can occasionally go back and say, man, we really haven't thought about that. And, oh, my gosh, we, 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 we changed out our coffee machine or we changed out the espresso machine or we're doing a, we're doing a whole new process over here, then we need to update that, right? So that is um, that sort of management 101. You know, I, I like to talk about, the lineup and stand up and using these tools that we've referenced as part of that process. You know, we spend a lot of time auditing uh, and, and, and hanging in and listening to, you know, different businesses, different restaurants, ways of starting the day, starting the shift, onboarding every day, the staff for that day's activities. And, you know, there are, you know, we see a lot, this is a secondary thought. They don't put a lot of thought into it. It's just sort of a rah, rah, hey, everybody, we're all here. Have a great night. You know, don't be an asshole to ever, you know, like just really not well thought out. And so I wanted to point out that the SOP binder and these other tools can be brought into your daily lineup or stand up, whatever you call it, pre-shift. And you should think that through at least the day before certainly no later than the morning of, but if you do this two or three days out, you know, you have fresh in your mind, what kind of issues you've had, what kind of complaints have come through, what kind of questions you've been answering on the regular, and you can build that in. So I actually have a lineup standup form that we require to be filled out by the supervisor, manager, lead, shift lead, whatnot in advance so that there is a guide, right? There is a, there's a game plan. We're going into this we're going on the field and we're going on stage and we actually have a script. We have a plan and we want to make sure that we start each shift off really well by making sure that we cover some specific elements. And then we think a little bit deeper about that process. Can, can we not take this to not only a tasting, but an education around the ingredients in the, in the dish and, and then, you know, have other people contribute to what do they know about that dish or that region or that culture or that cuisine how, how do we take this a little deeper and actually give back? How do we actually use this time together to engage our team and, and take it to another level? And that's something you see at the very highest levels of our industry and very fine dining Michelin star restaurants. But why can't that trickle down to quick service, fast, casual and casual? Yeah. And again, this has never been easier to do. In the past, if you had a change or, or an amendment to your operations manual, you would have to print out new copies and make sure everybody gets your copies today. It lives in Google Docs and everybody instantly. You make one change, it's 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 pushed throughout the entire uh, team. Like everybody, it's it's that easy. So like, and like you referenced, there's a ton of technologies yeah. that will do this. Yeah, tons. Yeah, 
uh, we, we're, we're big fans and use player link, uh, created for exactly this purpose in the NFL. NFL uses it to, for all of the changes to their playbooks every week to changes to, you know, as things come up culturally, as things come up, uh, policy wise, they can change it in one document and everybody will get it. And, and then, you know, recognition and accountability is there for that. So again, technology is your friend. And, and many times you already have some of these tools built into the technologies you already have to communicate to your team. Yeah. So if you're using an ADP or a paychecks, a payment process, payroll processor, an HR service, or even sometimes within your point of sales, there are features that will allow you to communicate with your team and memorialize these conversations. And, uh, and you just got to use those feature sets. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that sums up area number one, one down yes. five to go. We're uh, 30 minutes into this conversation, <laughs> Let's pick but it there's up. so much great detail, man. So I'm not going to slow you down. If you want to pull back to Larry's, you go for it. So what is area number two? Yeah, just talking more about operational efficiencies, like how can we make this systematized? How can we build things in that create consistency? And we actually bled into it a little bit with lineup and stand up. I think every shift starts every day. If you have it sorted, you have it planned, you've thought it out in advance, you're going to give back. But one thing I want to point out that I didn't say so far is if you have a set of core values or elements of your mission statement, Bring those to life. Tell your team how they can actually live a core value in what they do today. Give examples of what being connected or being thoughtful or we we serve with heart. You know, whatever your core value is, give examples of what that looks like in the day-to-day. It will change the lives of your team, your guests, and the entire culture because now we're, we're really speaking a language. We're all on the same page. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about the ingredients. One thing that I think is missing around connectivity with our guests is, is going back to the old surprise and delight adage. And this really, for me, is about empowering your team. In the daily lineup, remind your team that they're really not just serving people food and drink but they're really engaged in an experience that makes memories. You never know beyond birthdays and anniversaries and, you know, special events like that. Those are kind of overt and obvious most of the time or come to light during the experience of that shared time together. But man, you never know if somebody's going into surgery or, you know, if this is maybe going to be the thing they remember was the last time they spent with a, with a grandmother or, you know, you just never know what life, moment is happening in that space and in that time. So so there's really a lot of opportunity to surprise and delight. So if you're open with your ears, you're really connecting with your guests, you're looking for the cues that tell you there's an opportunity here to make somebody feel better or help them celebrate, or um, if they're transitioning, going off to college. I mean, whatever that moment is that they're they're sharing with you in your business, We've really got to empower our teams to engage in that moment and they need to be empowered. And the way I've always done it is let's make it sort of a game, right? Hey guys, when you go on the floor, remember we're making memories. Remember you never know what's happening in these people's lives. Um, Get to know them, listen closely, pay attention to what's going on. And if you have a moment of surprise and delight, let's huddle in the kitchen or in the back service lounge or whatever it is uh, in the server station. Let's come up with a way that as a group, we can really do something special. And you 
give that power to the team and you let them be the one that delivers it. And you would be amazed at all of the incredible um, experiences they'll create for your guests and the power that that will generate with the guests. But we don't actually do it for the guests. We actually do it so that the team feels ownership and has sort of purpose and, and really um, can ex- express their creativity in the moment. It, it really gives a lot of power to your team to feel ownership within the business. So earlier when, when we were talking about culture and culture is reality, it's what's happening right now. And I said, you got to bake this thing, the stuff into your business. You got to bake these. You, this is exactly what Troy is talking about. These are, these are perfect examples of what baking your culture into your operations looks like is you, 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 find points to resurface these things daily so that it just gets baked in. And I also like the idea of gamification. It reminds me back to a past guest, Roger Bodwin from restaurant Rockstars, talked about how he had a closet that was just filled with prizes and he would give cash prizes. And every day before the shift, he would ask random questions to random people from the operations manual, just a test. But everybody knew that every day that they could be on the cutting block, not the cutting block, but they could be on the spot to know their stuff. But then they would also get a gift or a, a prize, right. you know, and yep. ca- cash is a great reward too. hand them a 20, hand them a 50, you know, little things like this will make your people want to show up knowing their stuff because they don't want to be the one who doesn't know. Cause they're going to look silly. You know, they'll certainly be on their toes. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so anything else, in regards to, uh, I think you were talking specifically about SOPs and, and uh, training or lineup and stand up. Uh, you also have checklists. I don't think you've spoken too much about checklists. Do you want to get into that? Yeah, I mean, look, I'm just going to say this. I think we all understand the value of checklists, but they don't work if you don't use them. Accountability does matter. I don't want anybody to think this is all rah rah, frou frou, uh, kumbaya. You have to really care about and know your people and listen to what makes them move, right? But, but you do need to have accountability. And so I just would say that employees don't do what you expect them to do. They do what you inspect. And so you can't just um, hope that they're going to go out there and do things, uh, you know, correctly. You, you've got you you to get up off the desk and come out and really have a process and a system around accountability and checks and balances. Um, you know, one thing around uh, item two, which is operational efficiency that we're talking about, that's really important to touch on and we see this a lot is that operators don't know how or don't understand how to use reporting data, right? Before you get into that, I want to pull back another layer on checklist real quick. Um, What are some tricks that you've seen that help people stay committed to their checklists. Cause I think, you know, you've probably seen this too. We go through the process of making the checklists, but then people don't do the checklists. What are the elements to take your checklist to the next level to make sure that they're getting done? Don't make checklists for the sake of checklists. Don't make it busy work. So you think the manager or supervisor is doing something. Um, ask yourself, do they do, does everybody in the business understand why this is so important that it has to be on a checklist? And if it's on a checklist, why it matters um, that we do check up on it? Um, you know, how many bathrooms have you been into in a restaurant that have a checklist on the back of the door? And if you check it, somebody was there 15 minutes ago, but the place is an absolute disaster and hasn't been touched in three days. 
you know, those are examples of people not really understanding the value of that or the checklist itself not being checked and and utilized for its purpose. So it just make them smaller, make them more impactful, and make sure that you use them as a teaching tool and you, you answer the question why. Yeah. People just need to know why it matters. And if it's important enough to be on the checklist, you certainly better have a why for it. Yeah, I'm going to compound on I love everything you just added. I want to compound and say peer review is a simple thing you can do where the, that checklist isn't done until somebody is checked off that it's done. And that can be a peer right. and then a checklist for the checklist checker to make sure yes. that the checklist is being done. Having somebody whose job it is to make sure that the checklist is being done and you don't leave until your checklist has been completed uh, and creating systems on top of systems layers. Right. And again, there are technological tools that will make this not only digital and faster, um, but if clarity is needed around an item to know whether they've done it correctly or it's within the right parameters of what you're looking for, you could click on that item and a video or a photo or uh, an SOP would pop up to explain more details around the item on the checklist and what it needs to uh, be to make it a yes or a no or this value or that value. And by the way, there's a digitalization tools around this to the next level that give visibility from supervisor to manager to owner to chef, et cetera. So, so, and, and those can be automated so that red flags pop up when they're not appropriately completed or completed in the right time frame. So again, back to accountability, there are ways to automate this so that you're not literally grabbing a clipboard and checking with your watch to see if it was done correctly. And then beating somebody on the head with a clipboard to say, why didn't you do it? Yeah. There, there are ways that this could be a ping on uh, an employee's phone or, you know, on their tablet, if they're carrying around a server tablet to remind them to do it and then give them all the tools they need to do it correctly. So I'm curious is, and I, I always like to get referrals. Is there a company that you think is doing this exceptionally well right now? There's been a few that's been referred on the show, but can you reinforce any? Yeah. Phenium uh, with a PH, PHE, NIUM is is a favorite of mine. Uh, actually, you've discovered them just in the last few months, been playing with it. They have thousands of best practice templates. They are designed to customize all of your forms and connect them within one digital service. And again, give you um, those trigger points for within or without um, uh, the, the correct framework within the time span they're supposed to be done and, and give you scores like gamify it so that you have a score as to how you're doing around food safety or equipment maintenance or cleanliness or, uh, you know, uh, delivery of, uh, within, you know, uh, service time. So did we make and deliver the food within the 12 minute promise period, things like this. So all of that can live in one solution. So real big fan of Phenium, uh, these days. Awesome. Thank you for getting into that. And you were just about to start talking about data and I cut you short. So get into it. No, we're ready. Yeah. So, you know, again, we, we come across operators um, and teams that know that they need to run certain reports or do run reports. And again, don't necessarily know all of the ways those things can um, support them. How many areas of the business that sales data and menu uh, pricing and and other forms of uh, data can really support them. So I wanted to give a couple of very baseline foundational things that we look at 
first when working with a new client or or within our own business set. Um, so a couple of the reports that are really important, and I'll, I'll just highlight sort of areas they can uh, um, they can help you with. You know, sales by the half hour mark. What am I selling? How much am I selling of what items? And what are the counts of those items? So sales by half hour by menu item, sales by half hour of dollar value. So how much in dollars are we selling in that time frame? Um, are is an important report that I don't see people running. And it illuminates several things. Most importantly, it tells you about your labor. So if I have my hours from, I'm a lunch and dinner casual restaurant, my hours are 11 to nine. And I bring in three service members at 1030 and three more at 1115 and three more at 1145. But then I look at my sales report and orders aren't going in in any sense of volume. Like I'm looking at how much am I selling in that first 30, 45, 60, 90 minutes. That will tell me if I'm overstaffing myself too early. What? How many people does it really take? How many hours of work does it really take to get the store ready to open? And then how many people do we really need there to open the doors when really our rush doesn't start until 12.15 or 12.30 or 12.45? So we do these reports by half hour and it really illuminates what our hours should be. I think on the back end, it's very, very valuable. Many restaurants guess what time they should close. And I think restaurants... Nowadays, especially after the pandemic, you see people being a little more aggressive with this, but so many restaurants stay up until nine or nine thirty or ten. And by the way, you know, your last bulk of sales was eight forty-five, and now you've only made X in that last hour, hour and fifteen. Does it really make sense to stay open then? Or can we close down the dining room and leave the bar for bar seating and have a bar snack menu the last hour, hour and a half? So Really understanding what reports can you run through your point of sale or your accounting uh, software or from your bookkeeper, uh, your controller, whoever that may be, and understanding how those reports. And that's one, you know, we see people run menu mix reports a lot, like what am I selling and how much of it am I selling and when am I selling all of that? That's always very important. And I don't see enough businesses doing that on an often enough basis. Honestly, a menu mix report should be no less than monthly. Um, if you're really high performing and really dialed in and, and your management team really is on top of this, there's no reason it can't be done weekly. Your chef should be looking at this weekly to think about, um, you know, order cadence, volume of items we're ordering, making small tweaks to menu items uh, or, or portion sizes to eliminate waste because we're uh, have to buy a minimum bowl. So using data, actually running the reports, understanding what they tell you. And doing that consistently, um, I'm working with a client. They sent me their reports from their accounting team. And some of the reports and tabs were three years old. Some were done last week, right? And so it's like, okay, you thought enough of this to create a tab and track this for a number of years. And then it fell off. Why is that? Inf- do you, you know, do you understand the value of that information? Like, how can we consolidate this again? And uh, again, back to technology, right? There are lots of new feature sets within your point of sale systems. There's lots of integrations 
to bring uh, connectivity between accounting systems and point of sale data. There's um, there's ways to connect your database and there's lots of even more advanced technology to really track this down to the individual guest within your business as well. So lots of data available. Do you know the basic data you need? Are you running those reports consistently? And do you know all of the things it can tell you? And are you taking action on that information? Is a very important operational efficiency that I think people need to go to school on. Is there a POS that you think is getting the data the best and getting it, making it easily accessible? Like getting it and also user modern, experience, I guess. Yeah, I think any modern, especially the cloud-based, more newer uh, I would call it, but I know some legacy ones that are, are adopting this. You know, Heartland is a legacy POS that is acting more like Toast today than it is Micros, as an example. So, you know, honestly, here's the reality. Most businesses have all of the tools they need. They just don't know they have them. They don't know what to do with them. And when they do use them, they don't always know all of the layers that it peels back and all of the um, uh, enlightenment, all the highlights and information that it can, it can not only tell them individually about, but how that paints a bigger picture about their business. And then really it's about taking that information and making it actionable intelligence. Yeah. And on this list underneath data, you have two more elements, uh, know your menu and ingredient lists touching that real quick. Um, you, you know, you have to know what your actual menu costs are you need to know that when the sales rep walks in the door and says, I've got a great deal on 27 pounds of X and you, you need to know in that moment, you need to know that you use a pound a month and it's only it's perishable in, in, in three weeks. Right. And so, you know, is that a smart buy? Very simplistic, very basic inventory management. I can't tell you how many times, business owners and management will allow a lead bartender or a supervisor or a sous chef in training do very high impactful financial actions like placing orders. And the data is not easily readily available to them or taught to them or, and, or they just don't know it. And they make financial decisions that are very impactful in your business when they're repeated over and over again, uh, because there's no checks and balances and there's no there's no resource set for them to go to and understand that. And so they're buying things that you don't need and they're spending money you don't need to spend and things are sitting on shelves. And, you know, beer is a very common example, taking advantage of these short-term spiffs that are available on beer purchases and not realizing that you only sell six of those bottles and, and, you know, in three months, yeah. and unless you do some kind of sales activity, some kind of proactive marketing campaign yeah. in store or otherwise, you're not going to sell through that before it goes bad. Yeah. And we did have uh, David Scott Peters on the show. He did a deep dive into menu engineering episode 437. If you head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 437, you can watch that because you had one of your notes is here. Like, is watch a YouTube video. Well, we have a whole right. workshop on that and David crushed it. So I highly recommend you guys check out that episode. I think we can take our first break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to bust out our third area. Unless there's anything you did not get out in regards to uh, that's that second area, which is operations. 
Yeah, we're good to move on. And, and uh, you know, Eric, we can make uh, this outline available uh, to the members of your network exclusively um, so they can, they can have a reference uh, after the fact. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Sculpture Hospitality. Let's face it, running a restaurant is hard work and very time consuming. You are constantly managing customers, employees, vendors, menus, marketing. The list goes on. Want something taken off your plate, especially something that's time consuming? I don't know, maybe something like inventory management? Is that a yes, a resounding yes? Well, then Sculpture Hospitality can help. Leave your inventory management to the experts while you focus on making your customers happy. With Sculpture, not only can they do the physical inventory counting for you, but they dive deep into your inventory data, combining that with your sales and purchase data using seamless integrations to give you real insights and visibility into your restaurant's profitability and putting your profits back where they belong. One other thing I think is really neat about Sculpture Hospitality is that you're not just paying for the inventory management. You're also paying for the expertise of the individual doing the inventory, whereas other inventory solutions just give you the system and not the human being. If you're ready to gain complete visibility and control of your bar or restaurant inventory, then get your free no obligation inventory consultation from Sculpture Hospitality Right now, visit www.sculpturehospitality.com slash unstoppable. That's sculpture, like the pretty things made out of stone that artists create, hospitality.com slash unstoppable. We're back, and we're about to get into that third area. So, so far, we've covered your people, operations, and now we're about to talk about financials. Get into it. Yeah. So when we ask owners and managers and supervisors and any line level employee, what is an area of this business you feel least educated, least comfortable understanding or want to know more about? It is almost always the P&L or understanding reports or understanding the financials and being able to do something with that information. And usually along with that comes with and I need help with Excel. They kind of go hand in hand because most financials me. are reported <laughs> on Excel. <laughs> I, I fall into this category. <laughs> so number one, go to either your local culinary school and or your community college. And almost always there's a free course on these things. Your small business uh, development corporation, SBDC, is a is a sort of offshoot of the SBA is at most community colleges. It's in every uh, major uh, market as far as uh, region. Um, that is free resources from people like me who go there to teach very specific skill sets, and it's free. And then community colleges very often have free short courses um, mixed in-person and uh, self-taught online video series around very simple things like Excel for business owners, you know, Excel for accounting, et cetera. So um, take advantage of those resources that are available. But specific to our industry, we when we pull up a P&L, it's one of the first things we look at when we start to work with a client or look at even thinking about building a business or replicating a business. Um, we look at some very key metrics that are very important. Obviously, what are your food costs? You have to understand whether that's accurate, what goes into food costs, what things um, actually impact food costs. You need to understand what your true inventory on hand value is. How many dollars am I sitting on and when do those dollars expire and how do I move through that inventory and be 
a smarter buyer. Um, that goes along with inventory purchases. If you don't understand what you have and how much you have and how much it's worth, you don't understand really what you should be buying and how much you should be paying for it. And by the way, your buddy, the uh, main broadline distributor uh, friend of yours uh, is not your friend. He gave you that price on those 10 or 12 or 15 items. And I guarantee you, he made up his margin on the other 74 items you buy from him. Sorry to my friends at Cisco and PFG and others. We understand how the games work. I think a lot of people don't. They're, they're going to make their margins. They have a margin to be hit. They're going to make it. So let's get a little bit more tactical and a little more aggressive with how we work out our negotiations with our distribution. And by the way, threatening to leave uh, works uh, just like it does with your um, uh, cable and internet provider about once a year. Um, one of the biggest, and I think one of the least understood is how much control uh, and how few things you need to do to move your labor costs. Labor costs and food costs are the two things that get out of the hand, out of hand fastest. And I think that uh, operators really understand the least, the finite details around uh, labor. And again, when I kind of mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, how 15 minutes matters, staggering staff, uh, you know, reducing your hours by a half an hour uh, or an hour, uh, you know, really, really, what staff do you really actually need? Does it need to be the highest cost staff that come in first or or can can the real skilled labor staff come in really uh, in the prime periods of your open hours, et cetera? So really understanding how to move your labor costs by minutes, 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 minutes matter because they add up over time because you have 10, 12, 100 employees on shift. You have, um, you, you know, this happens day after day after day throughout long periods. So understanding that very, very important piece of the uh, puzzle. And then really understanding your sales numbers. Do you know what your average ticket is? Do you know your average cover value, your average plate or person guest value is? Are you tracking that on a regular basis? Are you segmenting that between your day parts of lunch and dinner and happy hour and late night? Um, look, when you go into these large chains, there's a reason that there's a 10 to midnight or a nine to close happy hour period, right? They're promoting a specific period of time to draw certain demographics in. They, it means they understand the value of promoting that time of the day to those people for those products and services. So around your financials, you've really got to go to school. And if you don't understand the numbers, it's okay to admit it and go get help. And whether it's within your organization to teach that or, it's, or bring somebody in from outside to help everybody feel more comfortable with it, or whether everybody that needs to know it goes outside and goes and gets it, it's extremely important. And I just can't tell you how common it is for us to walk into a business. And much of this is not understood at all or not understood well. And the understanding of how to use it, if they understand the numbers and how the numbers are derived, the understanding of how to leverage that as actionable intelligence is sort of that next level that I think a lot of folks need to um, need to step into. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, back on this idea of uh, controlling your labor costs, you gave some good little trips or tips and tricks. Uh, where do you lie in the whole outsourcing uh, to technology with labor? <laughs> I know where you're coming from. Um, look, I, I think there's one area that 
is probably most impactful. And particularly if you have more than one restaurant, if you're sitting on two, three, five or more restaurants, this applies to you instantly. And I'm, I think a lot of folks after the pandemic, because of the labor crunch, they've, they've gone or tried this. But even a single store, if we take the model of the co-op delivery, if you haven't heard of that, you know, five restaurateurs within a block or a strip mall or an area getting together and starting their own delivery service for themselves and sharing the cost of that is a co-op delivery. What I'm talking about is doing the same thing around finding efficiencies to do prep commissary. Can you Prep labor is one of the most expensive segments of labor within our, our business and, and it, and skilled labor in many cases or semi-skilled labor. And so, um, so, so it can have a high cost value. And if we're doing so many things in house to be craft and hands on and understanding and buying, you know, local and regional and farm direct, et cetera, we're doing a lot of labor and there's a lot of opportunity to consolidate that through using a ghost kitchen as a commissary, doing a co-op commissary among multiple uh, restaurant groups or within a restaurant group set. If I have multiple stores, why am I replicating all of those pieces of labor at every single location? Those hours keep adding up. When, when If I maybe had two people at each restaurant for three restaurants, a total of six people doing the same pre- uh, prep labor at each location, maybe I could go to one one restaurant I already have or an outside commissary environment and have three or four instead of six people do the same amount of work, probably more efficiently when you're doing it in bulk and then self-distributing. And by the way, there are outsourced. um, We're seeing more and more of these businesses pop up where you can actually outsource uh, to another commissary. There's lots of, there's lots of production uh, excess production availability in larger organizations that are looking to take advantage of um, providing this service. So so think about how you can consolidate prep labor. And, and so I'm not talking about robotics, Eric. I'm just talking about what you can do here and today uh, in your own organization. I wasn't even suggesting robotics. Honestly, just okay. there's tons of labor management tools out there that a lot of people there are. just look at that as being another expense, an operational expense. But the question you need to ask yourself is, how much time am I saving implementing a tool like this versus doing it on pen and paper? And also what data am I getting from these tools that I can't get from my POS? Right. Uh, so I, I mean, seven shifts is the most recommended on the show. There's a ton of resources out there, but these tools give you a whole nother layer of data. And we already talked about how important data is. How do you know what changes to make if you don't have the information in front of you? Right. So um, is, anything to add on to and that? Yeah, the one thing I want to add is um, is all of these decisions and trial and error and testing of an idea should be done on paper first. It is it is your money you're playing with when you anecdotally say if I cut labor by a half an hour or if I um, do this with my uh, I, I buy those things pre made versus do them in house. Put that into a spreadsheet. I, I have a basic. Excel tool that I use, like you said, use the technology you have. It's there. Do labor forecasting. Do a sample schedule and say, if I do this, what is the implication? Because sometimes we think things that have a bigger impact and they have a smaller financial impact. We think it's going to make a big difference. But then when we actually 
plan it out and look at what it does. It's, it's kind of not as valuable. And so what if I cut their hours and they leave is, you know, what is the loss of productivity? What is the loss of uh, knowledge base that walks out the door? So, so there are things you have to balance um, in these decisions. So I always model them out first to see what the real impact is of those decisions and then make a decision on that uh, new information that really articulated cleanly um, communicated information. All right. So under this header of financials, we've covered going to your community college, we've talked about really understanding your PL, food costs, inventory costs, labor costs, sales and numbers, anything else you want to drop on us before we move on? No, let's move on. I think that everybody needs to really feel comfortable and confident with that. And then every one of those things is a layer that can be uh, peeled back. And, and there's lots of drop down menus that come with each one of those categories. But I think enough people need to get the foundation started now that 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 information alone will get people set in the right direction so I, I think we can move on so area number one we covered was your employees we moved on to area number area number two uh operational efficiencies and just wrapped up area number three financials onto the fourth area supply chain get into it troy yeah, so I, I want to say a couple things here that are less um, less used. Look, I think everybody knows they need to have a high quality relationship. You need to do more with less vendors and really press your vendors and partners, supply partners and service partners to give you um, consistent quality products and services and do it at a very competitive price. Um, there's a couple of tips and tricks uh, that I want to throw out there that I just don't see a lot of people taking advantage of um, that, that I think need to be considered. Um, I mentioned earlier that that negotiating the top 20 items thing, they're going to make up that. If it makes you feel good, you should do it. You should get those savings. Ultimately, the supplier is going to make up their margin. They're going to get their margin or they won't be in business. But there are some other ways that could really help you leverage the collective bargaining power, and that is through GPOs, so a group purchasing organization. Um, GPOs have been around as long as uh, business and commerce have been around. They've had different names and different acronyms, but basically you can join a membership. Very often there's no fee or a very nominal fee to join and take advantage of pre-negotiated rates for all kinds of products and services in your business. There are ones that are very specific to our industry that you can get into, and basically somebody has negotiated on your behalf the collective power of the purchasing value of everybody together, right? And saying, if we have loyal to you, Cisco, PFG, you know, uh, Ecolab, whoever it is as a vendor, supplier, service provider, um, we deserve the best price and we want to keep that consistently 10 or 15% below market rate. So consider and look into GPOs. Um, two, I actually have a client who got together with seven other multi-unit owners and started his own co-op. So like a GPO, but a co-op where um, everybody in the group owns the company and they share equally in the collective savings. So a, a, a other side of that GPO coin, very interesting to see um, business owners getting together and doing this themselves. Um, on supply chain, I did something, I want to share this quick story. 
that didn't impact the bottom line of what I was paying that organization today, and I'll leave names out, but we had a supplier and a lease for a dishwasher and all of the consumable products that support that dishwasher working, that large commercial dish machine. The competitor came in and said, we would replace that with a new one. That's nice. It's more efficient in its use of water and supplies. That's nice. We made them prove to us that the price per ounce and the concentration, like we delineated out the actual cost per um, cycle for everything. Okay, that worked out to be about the same or a little less. That's nice. That's probably not enough to save. But what I did was I said, well, you know what? That's all great. I'd love a new machine. I'd love to pay less or around the same, but get great service. And you're promising me, you know, even better service, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's going to be less work on the staff. The machine's going to be more reliable. Okay, great. All maybe not differentiated enough, but I said, you know what I really need? I need a bar glass machine. I need a behind my bar dishwasher for my glassware because our bar was a great distance more so than most restaurants from the uh, from from the dish pit, and our team is lugging heavy racks of glassware, and they're in a crunch to get the glass back and forth, and that doesn't look great during a busy time. They're moving around our guests with hot, steamy, wet. We're we're putting water on the floor. That's dangerous for our guests and our employees. I just want a bar machine. So you know what? I'll make this deal if you supply me that bar machine at no cost, you install it, you do whatever needs to be done, which was minor electrical to be made. And uh, and by the way, you're going to get the added value of the additional consumable purchases for that bar machine. Do we have a deal? And they did that deal. So I leveraged the change, not for my benefit on the one-to-one apple to apple, but I said, hey, I need an orange too. And that was a negotiating tactic within my supply chain that was very impactful in a lot of areas in my business. So, so I just wanted I to share the that lesson story. There is if, uh, if somebody's offering you to, you know, trying to get your business and to switch what you already have, what else can you throw into it to sweeten the deal? Cause this is a point right. where you have leverage and you can use, cause they're trying to get your business. They'll do what they can to, to sweeten the deal. So be mindful. Think outside the box. Yeah. How can they help me get something else I need? And by the way, Understand that many times vendors will work together. Some vendors will pay for you to have something else. An example I think a lot of people in full service will know is that you can get your menus printed and the beautiful leather binders embossed with your logo paid for by your wine distributor if enough of your menu reflects the name brands of their wines because they just go back to the wineries and say, hey, I need three dollars from you times a hundred menus. I need three hundred dollars from you to pay for Troy's menus. And they're gonna go and get five or six wineries to do that because Troy, you're gonna represent one fifth of Troy's wine menu. And so again, it, what do wineries and distributors have to do with printing menus? Nothing, but it is a service they provide in exchange for that loyalty, right? Or that brand representation to the guests to have brand recognition. So just thinking in that regard is, is a tactic I wanted to throw out on supply chain. Got it. So we covered, uh, do more with less vendors, uh, tips and tricks. I think that was one of the tips and tricks, group purchasing co-op, uh, and how to sweeten the deal. Think outside the box, anything else? You know, we covered a little bit more about inventory earlier. Let's move on past that. 
Um, you know, I, I always do want to call out in your supply chain and menu engineering is um, we we see a lot of operators, and, and I'm as guilty of doing this in my in my history. Uh, you get emotional about a uh, a special menu item or an ingredient or or a category within your uh, your business. Um, you need to really think very diligently about the true value. Those sales reports will tell you maybe you need to change the words on your menu. But we see a lot of these no compromise proprietary items. The the chef says this is something that I will not compromise on. It must be this brand or from this region or this supplier. And that's all fine and good, but you do need to have a process to audit those. And you need to look back on and ask and determine with real data what the true value versus cost, both in prep or in production time or in actual, uh, you know, net value to the bottom line. And and I just want to remind folks to audit those emotional items, those things that um, we say are no compromise. But if that, if an ingredient within that no compromise recipe has gone up 370% in the last two years, do we need to rethink that recipe? Um, I don't think we stop and look at ourselves internally. I don't think we audit and edit uh, introspectively enough. Um, We do what we've always done. And then we wake up one day and that doesn't work anymore. And so I just want to call out the opportunity to really think through whether or not the no compromise or proprietary things, whether it's process, product, uh, or, or, or service that we offer um, really still makes sense. Let's, let's look at that on some kind of annual or biannual basis. Any other tips on supply chain? Nope. I am ready to move on to marketing, Eric. Moving on to area number five, marketing. I don't know how we're going to just unpackage this little subject. In, we're uh, going to go very high level. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get people excited. We're going to tease them, and they're going to have to call you and ask for more. All right, man. What are the most significant elements regarding marketing that you want to drop on us? So I'm going to start at the most foundational level and ask if you own your brand. What do you mean um, by that? I have got, I have got two clients um, and one prospective client particularly that has three restaurants. They've been open a total of four years from the first opening of the first restaurant. Um, and they received a cease and desist letter because they failed to check the trademark registration of their name and they're in the Northeast and in the Southwest, there is a restaurant that was founded around the same time, but did trademark the name. And this other restaurant who did not check that and secure the ownership rights through government registration of the name of their business um, has the same name plus a word. So they just added a, let's call it a descriptor word on the end and they don't own their name. And now they have to rebrand completely, rename completely um, their entire business because they didn't do a $250 search with a trademark or IP attorney uh, office and and confirm and then also go through the about $1,200 to $2,000 exercise of actually registering their name. So I ask you, no matter how long you've been in business, do your own your name. And I'm going to give you one more example is a business in Texas that owned a name of something we wanted. We, we knew they existed. We searched to see if they had trademarked their name. They did not. 
we were going to approach them and make them an offer to share the name because we're going to do something similar, but in much different place in a different uh, venue model. And in between the time we had researched it, collaborated on the approach and then went to register the name because they had not, they had registered the name. And so it was completely coincidental. It was not because they saw us searching or somebody clued them in that we were doing this, but it was just coincidental that they had been in business for a long time and somebody within the business, I think it was maybe a, a, a child or you know somebody coming up through the business in the family said, hey, we should probably, if, if we're thinking about opening another store or doing, selling mugs or whatever they wanted to do, thought they should do it. So please own your brand, trademark, legally trademark the name and likeness and icon and logo of your business. Episode, so that's important. Episode 840, trademark your brand. Wait, trademarks 101 with David Lizerbrom. I hope I'm saying your name right, David. It's been a while since I've double checked myself on that pronunciation. But 840, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 840. We get deep into that subject. And the reason why I, I got deep into that subject was because I ran into a, a situation where there was all of a sudden a, a new podcast that that popped up called unstoppable hospitality podcast. I was like, what? I was like, that's a little too close. So that kind of got me digging into the, the world of trademarks and um, David Lizerbrom again, if I'm not saying that correctly, I apologize, David. He is um, a specialized uh, attorney in the world of trademarks. So reach out to him. Go listen to that. Cause I guarantee that has everything you need to know because defending your trademark is as or more important than even registering in the first place. I'm sure he gets into that. Oh, yeah. Let's, so, so I say that in marketing for a reason, Eric, because you shouldn't start marketing your business if you don't own it, because then you're going to let the world know about it and somebody's going to take your name and you have to rebrand your name. So uh, let's talk about some basics of marketing. Again, big, big two-hour conversation, certainly, to get into it. Um, I hear a lot, uh, what should I spend on marketing? And, and there is no actual answer to that. But I would say that if you're not spending 3% of your gross, um, many people would say five, some people would say 15. It depends on what business you're in, but not less than 3%, probably 5% of your gross on some form of proactive outbound communication, advertising, targeted and purposeful, then you're not actually marketing. And for a lot of, let's call it quick, surf, fast, casual if you're not spending $2,500 to $3,500 a month, you're not actually doing anything effective in marketing, even in the most niche micro market demographic that you might be in. So I just wanted to set a benchmark there. People ask all the time, let's call those the basics. Let's call that the foundation benchmark. Some people may argue what I say. I'm just saying that that's the starting point. And you need to work with a really smart agency that knows what they're doing, even if it's a one or a three person small micro agency, you've got to understand that marketing is well beyond putting an ad in the newspaper with a picture that you supported the little league. It goes so far beyond that now in the digital age. It's just really, really important to understand where the starting point is there. Yeah. You said anywhere from three to 5%, 15%, depending on the concept. What are the variables that would make us want to spend 15% of our gross on marketing? Yeah. So if you're opening multiple high volume, lower cost, let's call it, uh, if I was going to have uh, five food trucks or, or, or three kiosks in uh, food halls, um, I want to 
really make a lot of noise and and my maybe my costs are a lot lower. So if your benchmark costs are lower uh, because you have uh, you're, you're embedded or hosted in regards to your uh, your physical uh, rent is lower than industry you know benchmark of say ten percent. Then, then you should spend a lot more because you, you're in an environment that you're you're high competitive. Just because I come to the place now, I have ten or fifteen or twenty choices in a food truck corral or a food hall or a mall uh, food court or or other venues like that. Um, getting people to the place is only part of the solution. Then you have to win them once they're there. So um, you know, I think that a higher spend ratio when the competition is more fierce, but the cost of operation may be lower because of the footprint. Um, you could see yourself uh, spending more, and I do see people absolutely in the ten to fifteen percent range in those in those yeah. situations. Uh, another scenario comes to my mind, and it's kind of close and near and dear to what you do. I think when it, in regards to like nourish or uh, piestro or piestro piestro, right? Um, piestro. When you're more f- like when it's a I think what I'm trying to get at it here is when the, when your labor expense is much lower because you rely on technology to to create the the throughput. Um, but what you also might be lacking in a concept like that is a high touch human experience. So maybe you can't rely so much on four walls marketing. Uh, Correct. So you would use that that co- that what you're saving on labor uh, to go towards marketing to promote food is that kind of was that one example of where it could be higher absolutely okay absolutely and and you know what that made me realize that i want to mention the idea of ghost kitchens and virtual brands we seeing a lot of attrition a lot of failure rate in um one-off new concepts or existing brick and mortars that try to um add a ghost kitchen or virtual activation in another kitchen of their brand and don't realize what the real value or how much of their traffic came or would have come in a brick and mortar scenario from the drive by the walk by the associative uh, awareness, because I go to this store, I am aware of your store. Um, And so I don't think enough people understand that they have to be extremely aggressive, very targeted and really understand the methodologies tips, tricks, and tools around digital marketing because you have to get awareness in the digital world in addition to, uh, you know, th- that was an add-on if you have a brick and mortar. Like, it's it's everything now. It's 100% that. And so really understanding how to deploy and what to deploy and what resources are out there as far as agencies and and apps and and platforms there are I think that's highly, highly underestimated. And by the way, that's not anecdotal. When we ask at scale why these companies are failing, we're hearing from some of the platforms like the ghost kitchen environments or the food hall owners and from those operators, the failure point being a failure to understand how to market in the modern and digital age effectively to drive the amount of volume that's needed to a place that has otherwise no awareness. Yes. Um, any other elements regarding marketing? I feel like there's just so much we can touch here. Uh, there's, is there like a, 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 like say somebody's listening to this and they haven't put a, a percentage towards marketing, like not maybe the, the one 
cost is their email marketing platform, right? Is the one thing they're spending money on. What, where, what's the, like the most impactful thing we can do if we have a small budget, the most important thing we can do to spend on marketing. Okay. Marketers don't shoot me. Geofencing and addressable geofencing uh, is even a newer form of geofencing. You should geofence your business and have the ability to deliver thank you, recognition, and here's other things we sell and do on your own business to your own clients that walk through your door. But you also should geofence your competitors. So if I own a sandwich shop or I'm opening a sandwich shop, I want to have a geofence around my business so I can acknowledge my customers that do come through the door and serve them impressions and ads on an ongoing basis to remind them that they know us and they love us and they want to come back. But I also want to tell everybody else who likes sandwiches. So I'm going to geofence all of the name brand and other sandwich shops within a one, two, three mile radius so that those people who I know love sandwiches become aware of me. Uh, Packaged impression advertising has become very, very commoditized. Um, as little as eight to twelve dollars per thousand impression deliveries onto your devices um, to make people aware of you, and so I think that is a highly underutilized um, tactic that people need to become aware of. And more and more businesses, services, agencies are providing that as part of their suite of services that can be a la carte or packaged into uh, um, a retainer uh, for service. Get specific. Who's doing it well? Um, we are. <laughs> we are. Uh, you know, I'll tell you something. But is There's there a company a lot that of you brands. go to to outs- do outsource? Is there a technology or company that you go to to say, do this for us? Or are you just doing it in-house? No, no, we, we definitely outsource. We actually use a handful of folks on uh, it, reach out to me. Uh, let's have a conversation. It is a bit regionalized in some cases and, and what technology or what they're offering. Um, if they're offering it all, all a card or with other packages uh, items uh, matter. So, so reach out to me and I'll help uh, connect people with, um, with the right service vendor. Here's the thing. Um, most brands are not telling you they're doing this but they are absolutely doing this. And I'll tell you, I will tell you one. It did come to me. Uh, Tesla does this every day. If you walk into a Tesla gallery in a mall or other activation where you walk into a business and you get to poke around and sit in a Tesla, um, you have been geofenced. You will receive an email or many, many impression ads on your phone. Um, mine happened four and a half years ago within 15 minutes of walking out. Wow. Of the, of the, of the, of the place. So I think maybe so Tesla does it and they do it well. When I said who's doing this well, I meant, is there a, a company that provides this service to restaurants that if I Google, if I wanted to start doing this tomorrow, in my restaurant, I Google search this rest, this, this company to, to do it for me. Yeah. So I don't know of any single company doing this as the only thing they do. And so what I meant by, everybody can reach out to me um, in the network is 
um, some package you plug you in the to network have for me. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I think that that takes like a three minute conversation to unpack their actual business and their needs and where they are and what they're already doing in marketing or digital marketing, and then help them understand, by the way, if you are paying somebody for marketing, uh, to do your social media, to do ad placement, et cetera, email marketing, ask them about geofencing, geofarming, and especially addressable geo fencing uh, specifically. So, um, and then if you don't get an answer there, reach out to me and I'll help you find somebody. Beautiful. Um, did I have a follow-up question? Oh, I, I was curious. I heard recently, and maybe I'm crossing my lines. Isn't Apple and other devices, aren't they building in technology to fight against this currently? Well, they're changing policies. And so geofencing today does not give you the amount of data it used to give you, but it does not today prevent you from sending impression ads. And there are other ways now outside of the geolocator slash um, uh, addressable identity that the phone used to put out that it's not going to anymore. There are still other reference points through apps on your phone. So, so many apps have geolocation. And if you've allowed them to follow you or For only example, when you're on the app Instagram. or never. So, 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 so it's, it's reduced, but there are other ways around using the cell geolocation portion of the technology that include Wi-Fi connectivity, Wi-Fi um, awareness, um, there's a few tips. There's a few technological workarounds that have that these organizations have at their disposal still. Got it. Uh, I think we can move on to the next. Unless there's anything else specific to marketing, nope. you want to drop on us? Okay, beautiful. We're good. Let's so build one. One more locate. quick break. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out the last, the final area we're going to be covering today. Area six: building first or next locations. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy, and you've been hearing me talk about Diageo Bar Academy on my podcast for some time now. Uh, Diageo Bar Academy is a totally free resource for bartenders, bar managers, and those in the hospitality industry. Today, I want to tell you about some of these amazing new e-learning courses they have available right now. And again, a reminder, Diageo Bar Academy is always free with tons of resources that help you build your skills at your own pace and at any level. So back to these courses, like the two courses on beer category and Guinness Essentials, just in time for St. Patrick's Day too. You'll learn all there is to know about Guinness history and heritage and how you can serve a beautiful, great quality, great tasting pint every time. Learn about different beer styles and even how to enhance your guest food experience with pairings. Or if your restaurant's more geared towards the booze, if you want to learn more about balancing flavors with spirits and food pairings, take the interactive course Spirits and Food Pairings. Knowing what cocktails to recommend for different moments of your guest meal can elevate the dining experience and help your check average. Diageo Bar Academy online courses offer real life skills to help you grow in your career. They are always free, interactive, and each e-learning course takes less than 30 minutes. And you receive a certificate upon completion, which you can view on your profile at any time. To learn more about what Diageo Bar Academy has to offer to grow your career, visit www.diageobaracademy.com. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become 
become a member and be sure to opt into the newsletter today. It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Find out why past guests like Tender Greens and Kava are using Play IQ for their accounts payable automation and expense management solution. Yes, you heard me right. Play IQ now offers a new spend management feature, which allows you to issue virtual or physical cards directly with Play IQ card. With Play IQ card, there is no credit card check, no minimum balance, and no personal guarantee required. This feature is great for small restaurants who want to eliminate expense reporting for their employees, but cannot get a corporate credit card easily. And I've got to let you know that with play IQ card, you can get up to 1% cash back. That's pretty great. Now, I've told you what's new with Plate IQ, but you can't forget about all the other features you get with Plate IQ, like bill pay and incredible insights and approval of hierarchies. With bill pay, you can seamlessly flow from invoice upload to paying your bill, and this is all happening online, so no more paper checks. Plate IQ bill pay lets you see what's due when, and you can pay by check, ACH, or Play IQ card. Also with Play IQ Bill Pay, you can say goodbye to escrow. That's right, no more flow. In other words, no money leaves your account until it's received by the vendor. We've got to talk about Play IQ Insights too, because I mean, insights are so important. There's insights to allow you to compare spend by item, vendor, time, period, and location. Man, I love some insights. You can even set alerts. For example, if a price goes outside your agreed contract terms, boom, you get an alert. And then lastly, there's Play IQ custom approval workflows. Only see the invoices you need to, no more duplications of efforts, and no more hunting down approvers. To learn more, head to www.playiq.com slash unstoppable. And when you use that link, save 25% off implementation. All right, we're back and we're on to the last area. So up to this point, we have covered your employees, your operations, your financials, your supply chain, your marketing, and now the sixth and final area, building first or next location. What do you got for us, Troy? Yeah, so um, we do a lot of real estate-related consulting. We own part of a real estate brokerage and handle the commercial side of that business um, within our firm. Um, but, but you know, basically, if you're going to be in the restaurant business, especially around emerging brands and, and brands that want to franchise or grow the numbers of their stores, real estate's a big part of this. And it is, to me, one of the most least understood and, and most impactful financially and um, really foundations of whether you're going to succeed or not, uh, location, 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 but beyond that, how did you negotiate that location? And so there's some tips and tricks and things I want to make sure that restaurant owners are aspiring to be restaurant owners really understand uh, in this in this regard. So what are some of those tips and tricks? Get into it. All right. So uh, I was hoping you might refer to Kyle and Sarah uh, and his uh, look up his episode. I was because, literally just uh, looking up restaurant. There's, there's a guy you need to follow because he does it full time. <laughs> and I love his TikToks. They're just file. Follow Kyle and Sarah on not not a, he doesn't have a podcast. Wink, wink. He just follow his TikTok. He gives a lot of cool. He advice. does have a podcast. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. I don't plug other people's podcasts. No, man, here. I'm all about no, sharing but, the love. But there's tons of 
people out there. I mean, I mean, we should mention for marketing, go listen to uh, Sean Walsh. He does a great job with the, the digital media or digital hospitality. Uh, I'm all about supporting my friends. You can, you can name other podcasts, please do. So right. um, real quick, before you get into that, I, I do want to get into that episode because I want to say that I had him on. I'll have to find it, but yes, definitely. If you're in the market for real estate, restaurant, real estate, follow Kyle or reach out to Kyle and tell him that we sent you because he will give us a kickback. So there you go. Yeah. It's all about uh, commission. We'll call it commission. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so real quick, some, some high level stuff, but some stuff to keep you out of the danger zone. Do not ever call a phone number on a four lease sign in a commercial space by yourself. Number one, this whole section is simply about get help. Your job is to get help. You must get yourself a real estate client representative, a leasee representative, somebody who represents you as the person leasing the space, period, full stop. Don't make the phone call because in many, many states, if you make a phone call and ask about the details of a space and you don't disclose that you are represented, you are default represented by the real estate agent representing the landlord. They became a dual agent by default. And if you later say, oh, no, 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 I have a realtor that's helping me, that realtor will be told by the leasing agent, sorry, you can help them, but they need to pay you directly because they failed to disclose and I'm not sharing my commission. It's very, very different than traditional residential real estate. It's more like real estate, same, just so if anybody's out there shopping for a home, if you go into a new build subdivision and you go into a model home, the person sitting there is a realtor that's been given, their company's been given the rights to sell that community. And if you don't disclose to them that you're representative, same thing. So there's a couple of places in real estate, this happens, make sure you're represented. Do not just blanketly start calling these phone numbers and asking what the rent is or what the square footage is without saying I am represented by Kyle and Sarah uh, for my real estate needs or by the Kiwi group and this realtor within that consulting firm. So number one, the whole topic around building your first location or building a next location is get help, have a representative on that side. So um, on the other half, go ahead on that note real quick. And I know in the world of uh, real estate, like if you're buying a home and you get a realtor, you don't pay f- for the realtor. They get that they, their pay their payment comes out of the commission on the house. So is that Correct. is that hold true with this? It does. It does. So why and, not? And just, <laughs> you know, like if you're well, not paying just, for it, it's a free service. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, and by the way, by the way, you're paying for it. Like <laughs> if there was one realtor versus two in the deal. Um, the square, the negotiations on the price per square foot or the uh, tenant improvements, the TIs that are offered, the entire negotiation is like your distributors are going to make up their margin. The, the landlord knows what his bottom price is going to be for that space. He's going to get that no matter what, but let the, let that all work out in the wash. What matters more is that if you're represented you're going to get a better deal at the end of the day, and you're going to have more protections than you would have if you let the car salesman tell you what the price of the car is and then 
sign the deal for you. That's like what you don't want to have happen. So um, it's just important to be represented. Beautiful. Any other tips when it comes to building your first or next location? Yeah. So next is get help, (laughs) get help by having a consultant. And this is not self-serving in any way, shape or form. You need an advocate who has built dozens to hundreds of restaurants in their career. Even when sourcing an architect, do you know the questions to ask your architect to make sure that they actually know how to build a restaurant? Because lots of architects will take your money, give you a base set of plans, and then you're going to be paying for design build through the builder or the landlord's architect to remedy the things that were not appropriately um, put in place and asked about or adjusted, or you've designed a place that can't be built because the specs of the building don't allow for those mechanics. So you need to have somebody on your side as an advocate and a guide through the process of what space do I need? Where do I need it? How many square feet do I need it? What is my minimum seating capacity required to meet my financial goals? Your landlord is going to ask you what the revenue per square foot is for your business? Do you know what that is? Do you know what your revenue per seat is? Do you know what your percentage of rent to your gross revenue needs to be? It needs to be 10 or less, by the way, just 10% of gross revenue or less. Uh, I love seven, seven and a half, eight. Those are great numbers. Um, Do you know how many covers per day you need to sell to meet that? So this is a a sort of tier down, top down triangle of information that is layer upon layer. You need some help to understand what the benchmarks in your genre, your venue model, and your cuisine type in that market are. And you need help to know what that is. Otherwise, you're really just going in blind and saying, I think I need this much square footage. This corner looks great. I think there's lots of traffic here. Between your real estate representative and a consultant on the design, build, you know, finding you the right um, contractor or, or subcontractors, the right equipment service providers, the right equipment package, you really need help. So please get help and hire somebody in the industry, a consultant. There are industrial design consultants. There are build consultants that just do this. And there are full service business consultants like ourselves in the restaurant industry that can help you. Um, It will save you tons of money, not only through actual spend, but tons of money because of the amount of lack of failures that you'll have along the way, the redos you'll have to do, and the amount of time you'll spend doing it because time is money. The clock is ticking um, when you start this process. So it's going to cost you every minute that you go over your estimated time on building out a new location or moving a location. Yeah. And a couple plugs here. If you wanted to check out that episode with Kyle and Sarah, head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash seven, six, nine. And I also have to give a plug to our, our friend, uh, Stephanie Robson, who did a three part workshop all on kitchen design and layout, uh, which is a big chunk of that expense when you're looking at location. Um, I would love to do a workshop. If you know of anybody who specializes in front of house layout and how to get the most out of your front of house, that would be a great workshop. If, if, if anybody, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and, and by the way, I listened to her three part series. That was great. And, it was uh, packed. you know, realize, realize what we're doing here is we're touching on six, areas of the business you need to dig into and here within the restaurant unstoppable network, you have access to all of these fantastic, not only one off hour plus podcasts, but the following workshops that may be associated with them. So uh, Eric, I really um, applaud you for Um, doing this 
Uh, we're just here to kind of give people the high level foundational understanding they need around these six areas. I'm not paying Troy to say this. I just want to make not sure everybody all. knows that. <laughs> no, but thank you very much, Troy. I appreciate it. And really, at the end of the day, I'm not the guy who knows all the answers. I'm a guy who knows a lot of people who know a lot more than I do. So my whole mindset around this is just get out of the way and share my platform for people like you to get out there and share the knowledge. So uh, that is it. We have covered the six areas that your restaurant must understand or what was the uh, the exact title I, I forget the six areas your restaurant of your restaurant you must understand deeply with troy thank you so much troy uh anything else we want to get out that we haven't gotten out now's the time well I, I think that that's a lot to unpack and there's a lot of detail within those i think any one of those or multiple areas that um your network listeners uh, feel like they need to know more about. Hopefully we've opened a Pandora's box. Just go listen to these podcasts, listen to these uh, webinars. Certainly uh, Google can be your friend. YouTube can be your friend. And at the end of the day, folks like myself are available to you. I love to talk to people, send them in the right direction, introduce them to folks that can help them around any specific area. Please don't hesitate to reach out. We don't do hourly engagements. We don't charge a fee for information. We're here to really support our community and the restaurant industry at large and uh, just happy to be a part of your uh, community. Awesome, man. And how can we connect with you if we want to learn more? Troy at krpusa.com and uh, on the World Wide Web at krpusa.com. Beautiful. And I do believe you said that there's three, you have three supporting materials to go with this workshop that you guys can get when you join the network. What are those? Um, you know, I sent those to you and actually, Eric, I'm going to send you a handful of more. There's going to be a package of materials. There's going to be some template or document around these six items available uh, through the network, as well as the outline uh, of this uh, time we spent together, the outline of this topic uh, that I've used to uh, to share this with you today and your, your, your community. So we'll make this outline and there's a lot of details within this outline that um, we just touched on. And then uh, certainly there's some example templates and materials that'll come in a package that everybody can have. And this is episode 879. Head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 879 uh, for a summary of today's discussion. And uh, if you're not in the network and you want these assets that Troy is talking about, I'll have a link in the network to get a 30-day trial to the network so you guys can get in there and get all this stuff. If, if I, I realize 30 bucks a month isn't for everybody, they, not everybody can reach that. I was there at one point in my life. I mean, it's a dollar a day, but I get it. Every dollar counts. But I do want to make sure you guys are getting this information and I'm willing to work with you to make sure you do get it. So don't let not having enough money stop you from getting in the network. I, you know, I'm kind of a softy. Uh, now everyone's going to be asking for lifetime access to the network and I'm probably going to give it to them. But anyway, just, just, just get over there, get the 30 day trial, get these assets and um, everything else that you think you can find value in. And we're, we're here to help you um, drop your email on us. I know you're in the network and you try to plug in the network, but I think you, you used your email the last time we had you on the show, didn't you? Troy at krpusa.com. Beautiful. Um, Troy, we can't say goodbye without you calling somebody out. That's kind of how I found my future guests here on the show. Who do you respect and admire? I know you already called some folks out a couple of weeks ago when I met you in Los Angeles, but who do you respect and admire and I uh, think should be a guest on the show? Well, I know, I know it's been, he's been with you before, but it's been a very long time. And I think he's got, 
a lot of new perspective throughout the pandemic. And certainly he was very kind to say nice words about me to you, but I truly believe that Jason Berkowitz is a master in our industry. He's a wealth of knowledge and I think he lives to bring value to our community. Uh, so I'm calling out Jason Berkowitz of Arrow Up Training. And if you need something around um, really cool contextualized training for your team on specific subjects, Arrow Up and Jason Berkowitz have that for you. But I think it's time uh, that, Eric, you give Jason Berkowitz another opportunity to talk about this industry with you. It's been over two years. He's due to come back on the show. I would love to reconnect with Jason and he put some new topics on my radar, GPOs, group delivery, uh, commissary best practices in geo fencing slash geo marketing and uh, geo addressability. I don't know. I might've gotten lost there trying to keep up with you, but tons of new topics that I'm interested in diving into. And I just can't say it enough. Troy, there is no questioning my man. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys all found value. I know I did. Thank you so much to Troy Hooper for coming back on the show and going deeper and pulling back the layers on these six areas you need to deeply understand your restaurant. For some of you, some of the things we covered today were repetitive, but I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to hear things multiple times to reinforce good advice and to, I don't know, keep you guys honest on where you're 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 doing good and where you could use some improvement. So um, plus there were some really great tips I heard, that I heard for the first time ever in today's show. And I hope you guys found those tips too. So great stuff. Thanks again, Detroit Hooper. And this is a good example of where I want restaurant stoppable to go in the future is I really just want to go deeper, slow down and leave as little as possible left on the table. And I, I think that's what's happening right now. We have a lot of great things coming your way uh, for future content. Troy Hooper was my first interview when I was in Los Angeles. This is the follow-up interview, and we have some more follow-up interviews coming your way. For example, Miso Robotics just confirmed they're going to be joining us on the show. I'm going to be talking to their chief strategy officer, and we're going to be kind of talking about just the future of robotics and what they're doing and more about the economics of robotics in a restaurant. So if that's of interest to you, make sure you stay tuned. And then also uh, something that's happening within the network itself. And I don't know of anybody else doing this, but we have one of you, our listeners who is very interested in the onboarding a enterprise solution to their restaurant, meaning uh, one technology that has multiple solutions, AKA solutions like restaurant 365 or compete where it's, it's an all in one platform. And we have somebody who's willing to open up their, basically their numbers, their books and get completely transparent. So we can all learn together. And Bob Sloop, our recent guest on the show is going to be taking him through the whole process of onboarding. We don't know which tool he's going with yet. It's going to be either compete or restaurant 365. That's part of the process is deciding which one makes sense for you. And we're going to do everything a through Z of what it takes to get somebody onboarded. And that's going to be a live events within the network. So if you want to join us for that, uh, make sure you, you join the network or get the 30 day free trial. If this is something that you think you could benefit from. Um, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes. All right, that's it for today. Thanks for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.